Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, June 13th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to discuss our recent trips to theme parks. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Paul. Hello, hello. And Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. So I have returned, guys. I was way in Orlando. Uh, before that, Jacob was way in Orlando. And before that, Ben was way in Florida. So I think over the course of something like five days, we were all in Florida, but we didn't see each other. Yeah, there was literally people at my Florida-based work event who were staying the extra day to go to your Florida-based work event. It was <laughs> yeah. very interesting. Yeah, and Ben was leaving right when you were getting there, I think. So, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, um, okay, uh, so what we're going to be talking about here is I got to experience the new ride at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, it's Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. Jacob went to Walt Disney World to cover the Toy Story 4 junket, but in the process got to explore all of Walt Disney World, including all the new stuff. And Brad, when he was out here in Los Angeles, got to experience Star Wars Galaxy's Edge for the first time. So we're going to discuss all of that. Uh, I guess let's start uh, with the thing that happened soonest, and that was... Uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter stuff. So I, I went out to Orlando, Florida. Uh, Universal flew me out, um, should be noted. Uh, and uh, this is Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. This is a new roller coaster that they have built in the Wizarding World, in uh, Universal's Islands of Adventure. So this is in Hogsmeade. This, this is basically... It's... The setting is the Forbidden Forest from the movies. Not that we've spent a lot of time there. Um, and it's basically a roller coaster, which is part roller coaster, part dark ride. I, I've been describing it as like 75% like Everest from Animal Kingdom mixed with like, you know, 25% uh, dark ride with, you know, actual animatronics. Uh, to me, it actually feels like almost a response to the criticism Universal has been getting in recent years. You know, there's no 3D glasses. There's no screens. Uh, this is practical. There's animatronics. There's uh, It's exhilarating. It's thrilling. You feel the Gs. Uh, it is uh, a return to form, I think, uh, for Universal. Not, not that they've been doing bad, but, like, it, it feels like they've, you know, this is, it, it's big and epic. Like, the size of space that this queue and ride takes up, I think, I think the imagine uh, the Universal Creative guy told me that basically you could fit Forbidden Journey and all of Hogsmeade in the same amount of land. So it, it, I'll ask you about the space, Peter, because this is the former location of Dragon Challenge, which before that was Dueling Dragons, which was a massive, huge, like uh, uh, inverted roller coaster that like used to dominate the skyline of Anza Adventure, and it kind of broke immersion when you walked into the Wizarding World because everything was so carefully themed, but there was this existing roller coaster that was iconic, but, like, you looked out over, over the skyline of this, you know, quaint uh, wizard village, and suddenly there was this giant, you know, metal roller coaster, 
Whereas it seems like this one has been built below the new tree line. So you, you walk in and you really can't – doesn't break immersion, right? Yeah. No, it, it's hard to see actually. In, there's They planted 1,200 trees to create this forest. And it's uh, pretty impressive. And the the line itself goes through this whole location, which is where Hagrid, like, you know, studies the magical creatures. And it's not a location we've seen from the movies or the, as far as I know, it's not in the books. Um, so it's not like so I guess that's probably the, the negative here is the other queue lines at the other Wizarding World rides like have are locations we've seen in the film. So you get to like, you know, there's lots of photo ops to like feel like you're in that world. And there's a lot of props that we've seen in the movies and stuff like that here. Not so much, you know, there's a lot of references to creatures and stuff like that. And it it does look cool. The theming is on par with the other, the other rides. Uh, But, you know, there isn't, you know, as much to, uh, to take your photo next to. There's no, no sorting hat or anything like that. Um, yeah. I imagine that should be cool for like some serious Potter fans because this is the this is as you're saying, instead of a recreation, it's actually a brand new corner of the world, something brand new. So that's a reason for like people who may are Harry Potter fans, but maybe aren't necessarily theme park junkies have an excuse to visit because it's like saying, hey, come stand in line in an area that's been approved by J.K. Rowling. It's part of the official canon because it's here and it's all overseen <laughs> and approved by her. But it is something completely new. So at the, at the same time, it, it it's a double edged sword because I feel like people could be excited by that too. Yeah, no, t- totally. Oh, and I should mention, you do get to see the back of Hagrid's hut, which I think is in another ride, the Flight of the Hippogriff. So they still have that other coaster there, that little family coaster. Um, and uh, so you do you, you do get a, I guess, one little location from the movies. Um, but I, okay, but the ride because people probably want to hear about the ride. Uh, I was not prepared to for how fast this ride goes. Like it accelerates from zero to ten in no amount of time and uh, you are in these vehicles uh that are basically a reproduction of Hagrid's motorbike so that motorcycle with the sidecar and you can either ride in the motorcycle seat or the sidecar seat if you're in the motorcycle seat you are elevated a little bit higher and you also get to hold on to the the handles and there's moments where you actually have to do something with your bike I'm not going to spoil it here. Um, and if you're in the sidecar, you're much lower to the track, which I, I think probably makes it feel like you're moving faster. Um, and uh, I will say I did it in daytime and nighttime. The nighttime, I think, was more exhilarating because you don't see the track in front of you and it feels more unexpected. There's unexpected twists and turns in this roller coaster tra- uh, track. I am not a roller coaster person. Um, I'm more of, you know, I love theme parks for the theme. And, um, rarely does a roller co- a themed roller coaster happen and when it does usually it's just painted on literally um you know it's rare that we get something like Everest which is you know really feels like you're experiencing a story and i feel like this is in that category that you actually are experiencing the story we have these moments of these fast moving roller coaster moments but then it slows down and you experience these life-size animatronics of Hagrid and these magical creatures. Um, and then it will speed up again. It's like these little breaks. Um, I, I do think, you know, this feels faster than any of the roller coasters I've experienced in or, uh, you know, at the, the, the two theme parks, Disney and Universal. I, I'm sure Hulk is probably faster or something. But maybe it's because you're you're accelerating a couple times during this ride. And there's there's some twists and turns that are really fun. I know there's some ride videos out there somewhere you could probably find i know that they're they're telling people not to bring their cameras on the ride we weren't allowed to bring our camera on the ride but we did post a whole vlog from this opening day so you can see some of the cast of harry potter um there at the magical ceremony there was some magic being done there and uh, you can also see our walkthrough of the queue and and get a look at the attraction um i i posted online I think uh, just about like 30 hours ago. And so far it's gotten like 30,000 views, which is kind of insane. So I have a few questions about this, Peter. Uh, I've watched a ride POV because I have no self-control <laughs> and I don't know. I probably won't be able to get down to uh, universal until next year at the earliest. Uh, so one thing that impressed me from the POV and I want to hear this from you is that it reminded me a lot of rides we'll get to in my discussion, uh, which is like a big time on railroad, for example, at Disney. Is an amazing roller coaster uh, because even though it may not be as fast or as intense as others, it is built so carefully into the scenery 
so that even the, the mildest curve, you're seeing something, you are swerving around something, there's a visual for you to experience. And from the POVs that I saw, the way you weave in and out of ruins and around trees and through caves, it feels like even though there could be thrill junkies who want loops, who want faster speeds, who want more more G-forces pulled from higher heights, it feels like the uh, way this coaster is built into its environment I adds more thrills than this would have which is plastered down on a flat field, right? Yeah, no, I, I think you basically said what my answer would be. You, you definitely nailed it here. I think this is the ride. This is the rare ride, which I, 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 I don't think there's many rides that you can put this that that this category fits where it will satisfy the thrill junkies and it will also satisfy the people that want the theme and animatronics like i think like radiator springs racers at uh disney california adventure is also another one of those rides that does that in everest um but i i feel like usually you get one or the other do you know what i mean like usually something is fast and thrilling and isn't themed or usually it's themed and it's you know a dark ride that moves slowly through, you know, from room to room. Uh, th- this definitely fills both of those categories. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it for people who want surprises, but there's some really cool, like, modern coaster tech here. Like, there are, there, there, there's, there's one trick that's already been employed really well in Everest. Uh, even if you've ridden Everest in Animal Kingdom, you know what that is. But there's another one, there's another uh, piece of ride technology that's used to simulate uh, escaping uh, from a, a plant creature. Uh, and if you want to Google this or look it up for a ride video, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you know Coaster Tech, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, how was that sen- sensation, Peter? It, it is frightening. It is, <laughs> it is really scary. I know they they do something similar on one of the other Harry Potter rides, but I feel like it's much better employed here. Um, I, I hate to like spoil those moments, even though if you look at the warning sign when you're getting on the attraction, it kind of like warns you of certain sensations which would tell you what's going to happen if that makes sense um but uh so i mean you can watch a video online i'll link to our vlog which is kind of spoiler free if you want to check that out um but uh i i highly recommend it it's my favorites of the wizarding world attractions um i i i i I got to ride it twice and uh i want to ride it again this morning when it opened i guess i had a 10-hour line so Maybe wait a while. Yeah, I don't think it Nothing has is worth a... ten hours. I can't imagine anything I'd wait ten hours for. Yeah, and also it was raining a lot in my <laughs> visit to Florida, which it often happens. You know, Florida likes to rain. So uh, even this morning, I heard it's been raining there off and on. So you know that that might extend that ten hours a bit too. So um, okay, a couple other things I wanted to briefly touch on in my trip to Orlando. Uh, I got to experience this new restaurant they built in CityWalk called Big Fire, which is a uh, new open fire concept where, like, basically they're grilling meat over this huge open fire, which is in this open kitchen. And it, it the, the place is built to be kind of like a summer home and be homey and stuff. Uh, it's good. I will have a video on the food there. Uh, everything was very tasty. They have this cowboy ribeye with this... I don't know what the sauces they put on top of it, top of it, but it was awesome. And they have like the s'mores dessert where you like make your s'mores at your table with like uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Like it, it, it looks amazing. So um, maybe check that out next time you're staying at Universal. But the the last thing I wanted to talk about, or actually, I want to talk about two hotels. I stayed in the Aventura Hotel, which is the first time I've been there. This is a new hotel. It's kind of shaped like a fidget spinner and um it is kind of like uh i guess it's being billed as kind of like a hotel for millennials and uh it's a hotel of the future when i walked into this hotel there was like little robots roaming around offering people candy offering people you know to answer questions uh autonomous robots by the way not like remote control and i guess these robots are used to deliver room service in this hotel um when you get into your room at this hotel there everything is controlled on this ipad that is sits between the two beds so to turn on the tv you need to use the ipad to turn the channels you can stream youtube you can stream amazon you can stream netflix everything from the ipad uh to turn off and on the lights ipad you know so this ipad basically to order room service this ipad uh if you want to speak to the front desk no need to call them you actually 
can chat with them on an app on this uh, this iPad. So uh, I guess it's kind of uh, they're pushing towards the future of hotels. Uh, I will say I'm a little bit nervous. Like what what happens when you know the system that connects this iPad to the the temperature of the room does not work. Like I, I I'm a little nervous of like when technology goes wrong. <laughs> but Will the uh, robots come to life and start murdering everyone, Westworld yeah. style. Yeah, um, and uh, it should be said this hotel is a lot smaller than I think the other Universal hotels. So the pool is a little bit smaller, is a little bit more intimate. It's not the way I like to experience theme parks. I, I like lots of people to be honest. I my favorite uh, hotel there is Cabana Bay. If you ever have a chance to go to Universal in, in Florida, I, I I just love the vibe of that hotel, and it has a lazy river and has these epic pools and i don't know it's just a lot of fun but um it's my question peter my wife and i are planning our universal trip for next year uh fingers crossed it happens and we were planning to stay at uh, the porpino bay which is one of the higher end hotels because there's only two of us we figured we'd splurge it's like you know fancy italian you know village themed do you think aventura with its like tech upgrades is worth us reconsidering or should we go ahead and splurge on like the luxury place while we can well, here's the thing. The luxury place that you're talking about, I think, comes with an unlimited express pass to the parks. I could be wrong there, but I'm pretty sure it does. And I think that's probably worth the extra money alone there. Okay. That's not, that, that, that's actually the exact answer I need to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, the, the last thing I want to talk about, it, this sounds like it's so unexciting. And in our Slack channel, I was... Uh, jokingly, or not maybe jokingly, I was complaining about having to visit this. Uh, they were showing, giving us a tour of this their new value resort, and I was kind of like, uh, you know, joking that I, I didn't want to wake up in the morning for this, um, and I wasn't expecting to get anything out of this. Uh, but I'm actually surprised by this. Universal is opening this endless summer resort, and I think uh, the portion that's opening at the end of the month. I think has like something like 770 rooms or something, 750 rooms. And they have another uh, section of that. It's going to have 2000. So it's, it's going to eventually be a lot of people. I, I you know, they're building a fourth park in Orlando and this is going to help accommodate uh, those people. The, the thing that is surprising here is usually when you think of value resort, like when you stay at a value resort in Disney, it feels kind of cheap. It feels kind of like, you know, uh, bright colored wallpaper and uh, just very like uh, very budget. And uh, even I think value hotel at Disney is in the hundreds of dollars. Um, this hotel, when it opens later this month on its um, on its uh, non-peak time, will be $73 a night for a seven-night stay. And they're also offering a like two-bedroom suite option which uh has three beds so you could theoretically fit up to you know six people in there and it has a kitchenette and everything like that and that, that's only like i think uh 130 a night or something like that so uh but this hotel looked looked great i mean i, I would not think that the, if you told me this was you know 150 dollar or 200 dollar a night hotel it looked just honestly it looked on par with the aventura without the technology to me but uh so I would say if you're per, if you're planning a trip to this Hagrid's uh, ride in Universal Studios Florida, um, you might want to consider actually staying at the Endless Summer Resort because it looks like uh, the Universal's op- offering an uh, affordable option that is not being offered at, at you know Disney World, and uh, the the food and the drinks and everything just seems so much more affordable there. So it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so. and it, feel, it feels very well-timed with uh, Disney World's 50th anniversary coming up uh, in two years. And being at Disney and seeing all the construction projects everywhere to, to you know, get the park spruced up and get new things ready for that anniversary. It really feels like Universal is saying, hey, coming down to Disney for the 50th? Well, it's a cheaper option if you don't want to stay on property. And it feels like a very, very clever move on their part, very smart move. Yeah, and you get, of course get that uh, you know you can you get a shuttle bus to the the parks or you can walk over to Volcano Bay. Um, it, it's funny because I feel like back in the old days, and by the old days I mean like maybe even five six years ago, Universal was the you know you'd book your vacation to Walt Disney World, and then you'd book an extra day to go up to Universal to like their one or two parks, right? And now 
you know, in a couple of years, they're going to have four parks. Like, I feel like this is like you can even now, I think it you can spend a week there and enjoy yourself for a week where that wasn't possible a decade ago, I think. Yeah, I mean, like like I said earlier, my wife and I are Disney's worst nightmare. We're going to Orlando, Florida next year and only doing Universal. <laughs> so <laughs> that's exactly what Disney fears, and we're becoming that. As much as I love Disney World, that is our current plan. Yeah. Um, and, well, you did visit Walt Disney World this past week, though, for the Toy Story 4 Junkets. Um, when was the last time you've been to Disney World? Oh, man, as much as I've kept on top of news and, you know, followed it obsessively and bought the unofficial guides to read up what's changed, I haven't actually been to Disney World property since 2011. My family used to go every couple of years, and, you know, we all grew up and also having our own families, and it became really, really hard to make regular trips of it. So it's been a long time, and so, God, close to a decade, Peter. Wow. Okay, so there's been a lot of new stuff that you have not seen before. You haven't seen Pandora, Toy Story Land, uh, I'm guessing the Fantasyland expansions and all the stuff they've been doing at Epcot. So I I guess let's start with the biggest thing there, Pandora, the world of Avatar. Uh, I know you've probably watched all the ride videos and the Tim Tracker videos of him exploring the park. By the way, I have so much uh, respect for Tim Tracker. After trying to do this vlog thing like at star wars galaxy's edge and uh at this universal event it is a lot harder than that guy makes it look not that he makes it look easy well i mean he does make it look easy but it it is insane it it is not not easy to be vlogging your theme park trip um but uh so what was your experience like at pandora i've been on the record saying i like the avatar films i don't i mean after film i don't love it um so I was I was really curious to see how it react to Pandora, and I was bowled over by it. I don't think any ride videos, I don't think any tours or photos do justice to what Disney pulled off here, uh, led by Imagineer Joe Rohde, who's always been extremely interested in nature and conservation and culture. And the genius move of Pandora is that you can walk into it and enjoy it without having seen Avatar at all. There are almost no references to the characters from the, from the film. Uh, all you got to know is that this was an alien world, where human wars and human mining messed it up. And now you're part of an eco-tourist group visiting the alien planet uh, and exploring its culture uh, as part of a rebuilding effort where uh, human organizations have essentially come and set up shop to assist local tribes, the Navi tribes, in you know restoring the land. So it really fits into the message of the Animal Kingdom Park overall, which is about nature and conservation, but does it through this science fiction lens. And you don't have to know Avatar at all. And standing there below these floating mountains that they pulled off through. It's a miracle of engineering and the flight of passage ride, which is the uh, simulator technology pushed up to the limit of what it could be. I was, I was like in tears <laughs> multiple times just being in Pandora because I was so blown away by the sense of place and the sense of being in an alien world and the sense of purpose. Uh, in As much as anywhere else in the Animal Kingdom Park, I feel it, it fulfills the message of we are not alone on a planet and we need to share it. And man, if, if the movies that James Cameron is making the sequels can capture like an ounce of the magic I felt of being on Pandora and being inside this, you know, recreation of the world that exists in his mind and the sequels will be better than the first film for sure. Because right now I'm a bigger uh, Pandora fan than I am an avatar fan. What what did you think of the rides? Oh, I mean, Flight of Passage, it, it's a ride that's uh, the theme is that you're being linked with an avatar body to ride a banshee over Pandora. It's a really, really amazing uh, evolution of the Soarin' ride. If you've ridden Soarin' at Epcot or Disneyland, uh, where you're facing a giant, massive IMAX screen on a simulator vehicle. Except that it feels incredibly personal. Uh, your vehicle literally breathes. You can feel like the banshee breathing beneath you. The visuals are stunning. The 3D works. Uh, it is just this incredible execution where if you know theme park technology really well you can see the seams you can see how it works but the first time through i was just so taken with it and i wrote it several more times during my time there uh thank you fast pass we almost skipped the three hour lines and the number of people who i spoke to who were just you know disney disney world regulars or tourists who were waiting in line multiple times or their vacation like the full-fledged two to three hour long line because they were so 
moved by it and so taken with it. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen reactions to a ride like I've seen to Flight of Passage. And the second ride, which is uh, the Nazi River Journey, is essentially an all-ages, very toddler-friendly boat ride through uh, the jungles of Pandora. It has no thrills. It is very slow. But it is very atmospheric, has an amazing animatronics and visuals. But it's very much intended to be for kids who can't ride a flight of passage. I'm not, a lot of people like were talking crap about it um, when it first opened. But it's intended to be for children. And it's a really, really atmospheric, nice children's ride. But flight of passage is next level. Yeah, my, my problem with uh, Navi River Journey is I love Disney boat rides. I love dark rides. And I was looking forward to that more than I was looking to uh, flight of passage. And... This ride is short. It's like, I feel like it feels like it's less than two minutes. I'm not sure how long it actually is. And it lacks any story. Um, there's no characters. You, you do see a Navi at the end of the, the ride. Uh, I mean, I guess you see some from afar, right? And um, I I don't know. Like, it 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 it, go, it spends so much on atmosphere, but it, I feel like it, it's missing that s- story. Yeah, at the same time, though, I imagine the, the intention here is less to tell a story and more to create an alien version of the Kilimanjaro Safaris ride that you see elsewhere, where instead of a leisurely you know, drive through the African uh, savanna, you're getting a leisurely boat ride through the alien jungle. So I, I'd argue that this, the lack of story is intentional, that you, are, that you are just taking a boat ride through a jungle instead of experiencing a narrative. Uh, but yeah, I, I understand the criticism, but it's one that I honestly wasn't bothered by. But then again, I only waited five minutes for it. I, I did find yeah. a passage and walked right over to it. doing a five-minute wait. I jumped on and got, got right on. So I imagine if you waited more than an hour for this, you would probably be pretty unhappy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so how does the, the newest land in Walt Disney World uh, and Hollywood Studios, Toy Story Land, uh, compete? Toy Story Land is not as you know immediately impressive as Pandora, but I don't think it sets out to be. It is at uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. It's built over a portion of the old Backlot Tour, and the theme is that you're in Andy's backyard. So everything's sort of oversized. All the buildings are meant to be like toy boxes and balls and props. Uh, like literally, the restaurant is like an oversized um, lunchbox. It's literally called Andy's Lunchbox. So it's all it's all very cute. It's all very nice. It is not a place where I, I stood in awe and took dozens of pictures like I did with Pandora. But it's an extremely well-themed, well-executed land. They uh, built the old Toy Story Mania ride into it, so that one exists already. And they built a new entrance for it that fits the theme. Uh, the big draw here is the new Slinky Dog Dash coaster, which is a family coaster, uh, which, like Hagrid's coaster, is built on the uh, accelerated launch technology, where instead of having you know the long lift hills to get up and drop you up from a high place. It uses the um, technology to launch you from the sudden speeds. And it it probably only goes maybe 30, 40 miles an hour, but it has a really nice sense of uh, speed, a nice uh, layout. It takes you around, you know, things like giant building blocks, some familiar characters, some animatronics. It has a lot of personality, and there are definitely more intense and better coasters on Disney property. But if there are kids, like, in your family who maybe – need to know if they're brave enough for Big Thunder or need to know if they're brave enough for Space Mountain or maybe a little too big for the Barnstormer over at Magic Kingdom or Disneyland. I can't remember where that one is. Um, it, this is the way to, you know, the next level up. I mean, I, I wrote it a couple times and I found it to be a very charming, very brisky, very fun coaster. And perhaps most importantly for us, from the highest point on it, if you look to your right, you can see directly into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So I was able to get a few really good looks at the Disney World version of that land. More on that later. Uh, okay, so what what other new things did you get to experience? I, I guess you saw for the first time Fantasyland's expansion there? Yeah, they were actually building new Fantasyland when I was last there, and they've added a few new rides. Uh, the biggest one being Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, which remains the biggest draw uh, at the Magic Kingdom right now. There were, there were regularly four-hour four waits for it. I managed to ride it a few times. Uh, thank you once again to Fast Pass. And that is a really, really good ride. I mean, I'm not sure how I would feel if I waited four hours for it, but it is, it's a fam- another family coaster, but it's more intense than Slinky Dog. And the theme is, you know, based on Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. You are riding a out-of-control mine cart through a series of mountains and tunnels. There's, a, there's one extended dark ride scene where you get to see the Seven Dwarfs at work. And this thing has a kick to it. Uh, it is not particularly fast, but like Hagrid and other classic coasters, it takes advantage of space to make up for the you know the fact that it's not as fast or as inherently thrilling as you know bigger, more extreme coasters. So, even you know the sense of uh, 
speed comes from, you know, narrowly missing, you know, uh, mountains. It comes from being going spiraling through uh, really tight areas. And I wrote it once during the day and once at night. And at night, you get these amazing views of uh, Fantasyland. And it makes an already smooth and fast coaster really exciting. Like, I was impressed by how exciting this family coaster was. Peter, I know you wrote this back when it first opened. Do you agree with me on this one? Well, Jacob, <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when I wrote it, I went into the line. It was an hour wait. And when we were in the line for this ride, the, Florida, as it often does, started to thunderstorm. And so I was like, oh, we'll wait it out in this ride. And then we waited another hour, and it still didn't stop raining. Then we waited. Uh, at that point, it's like, you know, should I leave? If I leave now, I, I get nothing, and this two-hour time investment was for nothing. So I waited another hour. Eventually got in on it. So I spent three hours to wait to get onto this ride. And I feel like that tainted my experience a little bit <laughs> because I, I – I, I don't know. I think I was expecting a little bit more. Like I remember being at D23 and the the coaster car design is like based on these mine carts, which they were all like selling with these uh, videos from Imagineering that they would sway back and forth as you made turns and stuff. And I feel like you don't feel that as much. It almost like what happens is when, when the track begins to go on an edge it, you as a car just remain vertical so it like you don't experience much of like the turns if, if that makes sense as a normal coaster so i feel like it, it's fine i i, I don't want to hate on a ride that everybody loves and spends four hours to see i i do like the the animatronic dark ride end of the ride and it is fun like i, I mean if i could just have a fast pass and walk on uh sure yeah, well, I liked it a lot more than Peter did, but I also think Peter owes it another shot. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll make that happen next time here in Disney World, Peter. Yeah. Uh, the last uh, like big new thing I did was I did Frozen Ever After, which replaced Maelstrom at Epcot. And this was really controversial when it first happened because Maelstrom, the, you know, the Norway-themed folklore ride, uh, had a big following, even though if you go back and watch a video of it, it's actually pretty terrible. <laughs> it's somebody who used to love it to death. And the uh, Frozen re-theme of it, is really good. Uh, it is a very classical structure of a Disney Disney um, dark ride, except it's on a boat. It uses the Maelstrom track, so it's the same basic ride, but very impressive animatronics, uh, uh, very impressive visuals, really good use of Let It Go, what Elsa sings to you as you plummet backwards over a waterfall. And the kids in the, in the vehicle with me loved it to death, and I was really charmed by it. Peter, have you been to Epcot since it's opened? Yes. I, I actually love this ride, and I, I was a big fan of Maelstrom. And uh, I I think that, um, you know, we, we're talking about uh, Hondo at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. We're talking about this great animatronic at the end of Navi River Journey. I feel like the Olaf animatronic at the beginning of this ride is on par with those animatronics and people don't give it enough love like it's like walking around and moving like, yeah it, it is a really cool animatronic and uh, it i mean this is a retrofitted ride but it it i think they did the best they possibly could with it like it feels to me like on the level of like what they did with guardians uh galaxy mission breakout at, at tower of terror like it feels like it's a best possible scenario yeah, and to the cast members' credit, uh, they kept that line moving. I was never longer than an hour while I was there for a ride that, you know, opened to having like four-hour-long waits. And, you know, all power to the crew the crews loading those boats because I've never seen a faster, more efficient team at Disney property. It was really impressive. Okay, so you used to vacation a lot at Walt Disney World, so I'm wondering, like, what kind of old favorites did you revisit on this trip? Oh, goodness. Uh, I don't want to go over everything because I ended up riding upwards of 30 rides, uh, including re-rides. They're getting close to 40 rides overall. And It should be noted that you, you got the red carpet treatment here because yes. <laughs> you you were given like unlimited fast passes? Not unlimited. I had a certain number per park. Uh, but what I ended up doing was that this is my first time being here since the uh, My Disney Experience app was, was used. And they had the Magic Bands, the RFID bracelets, which you use to, um, you know, Use, use for fast pass, use for your key, for your room, use for your park entry, use to pay for things. And what I would do is I would constantly check the app and I would find people uh, banning their fast passes quite often. So even though I was given a lot of uh, free passes by Disney because you know I didn't have time to plan a trip otherwise and they had me down there, 
I wrote a lot of things just by constantly checking the app when I was waiting in line and constantly grabbing fast passes as it came available. That's how I was able to ride Flight of Passage shuffle more times. I was able to ride several favorites constantly. So I'll get to more advice for solo travelers in a little bit. But I was pleasantly surprised by how good the app is and how well it works with the Magic Bands when it comes to navigating the parks and you know getting things done and shifting your schedule. But yeah, in terms of favorites, uh, uh, Test Track is still a favorite of mine. Splash Mountain, still a classic. Uh, Haunted Mansion, greatest theme park ride of all time, quite possibly. I wrote it three times, and each time I noticed new things I'd never noticed before, and that that is just a work of art. Did, did you Actually, spend time in the interactive queue of that ride? Uh, no, I, I, I every time every time I went, I managed to either grab a new fast pass or use my <laughs> uh, or use a current fast pass, so I, I walked right in. Uh, I love yeah. some of the touches. That's one of my favorite rides, and I love some of the touches that Walt Disney World does that are not in Disneyland, like the the end scene where like the ghost hitches a ride and your your cart is uh, fully digital, and it's it's really cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I wrote. I want to pay special special attention to the uh, single rider line for Test Track, Rock and Roller Coaster, and Expedition Everest, all which allowed me to ride those rides multiple times with almost no weight. So if you're willing to split your group up or you're a solo traveler, those lines are lifesavers. I think I rode Expedition Everest and Animal Kingdom about 10 times uh, because I, it was literally a walk-on if you were a single rider. And that ride is it, my favorite coaster at Disney World. The perfect execution of a great roller coaster and theme. The sense of, of being, you know, in the Himalayas and encountering a Yeti and being on a disastrous train ride. It's so it, it feels so evocative of its theme while being incredibly exciting. I think it's just this modern miracle of theme park design. But I want to say that the uh, a moment that I'll never forget, uh, and the moment that really reminded me why I love theme parks was riding Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in the back row, which is the best row because it's it's, it's the wildest and fastest at night uh, during the fireworks show. So you can smell the smell and see fireworks the entire time you're riding the ride uh, was one of the most uh, like o- emotionally overloaded moments of my life before I noticed that the row in front of me, there was a mother and her six year old son uh, having like a genuine, like memory making moment in the, um, as the ride pulled into the station, as they both like hugged each other and were like talking about how cool it was that they rode it at night with the fireworks. And it was just one of those things that made me go Man, like, I hate when people say it made me feel like a kid again, because I don't need to feel like a kid again, but it reminded me of the feelings I had as a kid, and which I think is a, a, a slightly different thing, and it just felt magical in a way that, you know, reawakened why I'm so obsessed with these parks and why I follow this news and why I keep up to date with all, everything, even though I don't get down there as often as I would like. Very cool. Um, okay, let's talk about um, what it's like to be so. Like, I mean, I, I, I guess you you talked about how the the single rider lines help like what else is like what is like dining at disney solo uh with the exception of a uh, uh, be our guest the extremely popular beauty and beast restaurant i could walk into any restaurant on disney property as a solo diner and be seated within 20 minutes i had no problem getting reservations and no problem doing walk-ins i talked at length about food in a previous podcast uh this week so i won't go in detail here but i was able to make split uh split moment decisions i was able to go where i wanted to go i was able to be where I needed to be. I didn't need to take anyone else's opinion into account. And this may not sound great to everybody. I imagine a lot of people don't want to go to a theme park alone. But if that sounds appealing to you, if you've thought about maybe I should visit a theme park alone and see how I like it, do it. I had a great time. And yeah, I would have loved to have been with friends, but being able to like change my plans at the last second and guarantee being able to eat what I wanted to eat and be able to walk to any place and see that one seat left at the bar and sit down and have a drink uh, without having to worry about finding a second seat. It was just uh, an incredible experience. I had so much fun doing it. And using the app and the Magic Band uh, and letting yourself be flexible and looking for those fast pass slots as they open up means that being a solo traveler at Disney is, is probably better than going with a group in, in, if you don't mind doing so. Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of baggage with groups. I've been going a lot recently to Disneyland to Galaxy's Edge with you know these big group reservations, sometimes six, sometimes twelve, and making a decision <laughs> that will satisfy all those people is not, not easy. But um, okay, let's um, let's talk about how different do these parks feel now compared to when you were there when you were younger. Uh, the Magic Bands have changed a lot because back in the day when you had paper fast passes, you were, you could be more flexible. But now Disney really wants you to plan ahead, and because Disney gave press you know fast passes, so they could be more flexible. 
I know that if I was going here on my on my own uh, as a trip to Doors, that was not part of a work function. I would have had to plan six months, you know, ahead to figure out, okay, on this day I'm going to do this, on this day I'm going to do that. And this seems frustrating, but once I had the Magic Band on and once I had the app open, I realized that um, the digital integration of the Disney experience really does work for me. I found myself really taken by being able to do everything through an app. And between uh, that and the fact that the parks are currently undergoing massive refurbishments, every park had lots of construction going on to prepare for the 50th anniversary, makes you think that, uh, you know, Disney is only getting better. I mean, it's getting more expensive. It's, it's, uh, it is not cheap. And I, when I, when I go again, you know, it's going to be like credit card statement from hell, but they are offering a really one of a kind experience still. I mean, the Disney, the Disney magic or Disney, you know, innovation, it's, it's still there. And I know I'll be back and I know they're making it more convenient and easier to plan. And they're watching all of your movements through that app to know which you like. <laughs> and I just, I found it to be refreshingly the same, but refreshingly different. I'm hoping that magic bands never come to Disneyland because, uh, Disneyland is a park of much more uh, annual pass holders and locals, which, you know, I fit into that category. And I, I, I don't plan going to the park sometimes, you know, days in advance, never mind six months in advance. And, you know, like you say, uh, so sometimes like, you know, a fast pass to, uh, I guess, um, Flight of Passage is sold out months before that date and I, I know things change and uh you were able to because you're a single rider were able to you know accommodate like you know to, to just jump on uh whatever was available but i feel like i i don't want i don't want that i want to be more spontaneous with my theme park visits yeah i get that i hope disneyland stays that way too because when i plan to visit disneyland in the near future i intend to take full advantage of that flexibility yeah well i'll show you all all the wonders of max pass which is actually a pretty cool system that they have at disneyland um but okay uh so i guess uh what tips do you have to future visitors of walt disney world uh sunscreen is no joke i applied it every 80 minutes i did not get burned everywhere i looked sunburned faces people looking miserable do not skip on that sunscreen i know it sounds like an obvious piece of advice but everybody does everybody forgets buy a small portable backpack you can bring on almost every disney ride they get they, they all allow storage and apply it constantly you uh you do this you will not get burned i promise wear the best shoes you can i brought two pairs of shoes the first one uh literally fell apart off day one the heel came off i'm going back to the hotel um second pair functioned a lot better so bring your shoes you know are reliable and finally, stay stay hydrated. Once again, it seems super obvious, but I drank two liters of water a day and still came home extremely dehydrated. Uh, always have water on your person. Always drink it in a restaurant. Every place on Disney property will give you ice water in a cup for free. Take advantage of this. And this is all no joke. Like, it sounds so obvious, but sometimes you're so wrapped up in your experience. You forget about the sunscreen. You forget about shoes. You forget about water. And by day two, you will be miserable if you don't do this. So if you're planning a trip, especially during you know June or July to Florida, do this or you will regret it. <laughs> okay, I think that's that's good advice. A lot of it, I th- I feel like, is obvious, but e- even when you're listing some of that, like bringing, bringing an extra pair of shoes, I didn't. And if that had happened to me, I would have been screwed. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Brad. You were in Los Angeles for Ghostbusters Fan Fest, which I know you talked about on the water cooler episode that we published earlier this week. Um, but while you were in town, you got a chance to go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I did. Uh, this was maybe like the best unexpected surprise thing that, that has ever happened to me, probably. Um, this It was just a, a great perfect storm of coincidence and uh timing and circumstances and you and your friends being awesome uh because you guys had an open slot on one of your reservations since one of your friends couldn't go and thankfully disney wasn't being as strict about their reservation policies because uh up until that point they were being pretty uh stringent about the names that were on the reservations and they had to match otherwise they wouldn't let people in but they started getting more loose about that, apparently, as the park started opening. So I was able to take a slot at that reservation. And, man, this was just it, – it's just its just awesome. Uh, I didn't think that I was going to be able to do this for, like, at least two years, if not more. 
So just to be able to do it and to go with you guys because you were so seasoned, that made it so much better and easier to navigate. Because I feel like if I would have went um, by myself or anything like that, like I probably would have researched beforehand. But that just it just made it so much easier to know where to go first and what you know the order in which we needed to get done so that I could prioritize what I wanted out of Galaxy's Edge uh, and that kind of thing. And it's yeah, this this place is just awesome. They Disney pulled out all the stops when it came to making this feel like you are on some, you know, Star Wars planet. It, it is so intricately detailed uh, down to the, the most minute, uh, you know, paint and just uh, props and characters, and like all the cast members, just just all this stuff. It is, it is seriously tr- wonderful and a magical experience. Yeah, uh, for sure. And we, we should probably thank uh, by name Reza for getting you on his reservation, Nate for getting you in the park, and Christina for getting you to the front of the line of the build your own lightsaber experience. Yeah, which was seriously, thing- all, all of your friends like made made this such uh, an incredible experience for me because they they all helped in some way to to make to make it happen. Yeah, so let's talk about the the lightsaber experience at Savi's workshop because I know this was the thing that you are most excited to do. Yeah, this when I when I found out that I was finally going, that's that's what I wanted to prioritize because uh, I've always wanted a custom lightsaber. There are places on, online that you can find that that make them uh, for you that you can buy. They've always been very expensive, um, but this was the first time where it was really really affords you the opportunity to have an experience building your own lightsaber. And it's not just as simple as walking into a shop. And, you know, they have pieces around and it's like, make your lightsaber and go to the register. Uh, They make a true experience out of it. Um, If you've seen Peter's video, then you you already know this. If you you haven't, I would recommend and you plan on going. (laughs) I would recommend saving it because I uh, once I found out I was going, I specifically did not watch Peter's video. Uh, that chronicles what it's like to build a lightsaber. Brad, are you t- trying to tell people not to watch my videos? I'm, but in it, but kind of, <laughs> kind of. Like I, I want them to watch eventually, but like it, yeah. it really, no, it's, just it's really is one of those experiences that like you just you want to like have it yourself for for the first time. It's um, I will say that. So I think a lot of people see that two hundred dollar price point. And they're like, oh, I, we can't afford that. Like, they, we don't really need to do that. That's whatever. And I feel like that video will convince you. Do you know what I mean? It'll convince you that, that, is, that is true. That is true. If you are if you are skeptical whether or not it's worth it, maybe watch that video and see because it's they treat it in such a ceremonial, serious way, and it it just taps you into really this this feeling of like you you are a jedi or you know what whatever you want to be and you have the ability to tap into the force and build this lightsaber with, with your hands um and like it was it really is kind of moving as, as a, a lifelong star wars fan like i i will i will admit that like once i started doing it you know i i, I, ha- I had some tears well up in my eyes just because it feels that cool uh and just the way the experience unfolds it's it's very fun and it's just very uh, again, again, like there's really no other word to describe it except magical. It it is a magical experience. Yeah, I called it a religious experience because I feel like by the end of that that whole thing, you feel like you are one with the Force and the other Jedi that built the sabers with you. It it feels so cool. And um, let's talk about the ride. Let's talk about Smuggler's Run. What what, what did you think of the first attraction here at Galaxy's Edge? Uh, obviously, this was one of the other things I was most excited to do because everyone has uh, dreamed about being in the Millennium Falcon ever since they saw Star Wars. And the what's most impressive to me is, first of all, the even when you're waiting in line, uh, Disney does such a great job with this this ride in particular, and you know some of the other rides in the park too, of really not making it feel like you're waiting in a line. The line moves pretty swiftly. They have an entire you know uh, like like environment built inside. Where you're walking through this, you know, uh, shop where they're trying to fix us a, a speeder, and it's where the Millennium Falcon is currently docked as you're waiting to, uh, you know, get your mission uh, from Hondo Onaka, and it's just, uh, it's it's entertaining while you're waiting in line that there's voiceover of these characters who are trying to uh, modify this speeder that's sitting in the middle of the line that you move around that goes up ramps and around, you know, this this set piece. Um, I, re- I realized as we were walking through that one of them is Ben Schwartz, which you know makes makes it that much more fun. Um, and so yeah, like just that from the beginning is is really cool. And then you get to walk into 
the Millennium Falcon. And the door, you know, you enter is the exact door that Han and Chewie walk into in Force Awakens when he's like, Chewie, we're home. And you just, you like, this this feeling of nostalgia and excitement uh, and, and amazement just warms over you as you are, you're, you're walking through the real hallways of the Millennium Falcon. Uh, and, you know, you can you can sit at the, the, the Jericholagist table and you can uh, go to that, like, little uh, darker mechanical corner where Leia and Han have that intimate moment in Empire Strikes Back. And there's just all these cool details to walk around the Falcon. Uh, and then, you know, you get to the, the ride itself, which is in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. And they have just perfectly recreated uh, the cockpit, obviously with some more seats since six people can sit in the ride. But it just it feels so cool. Uh, and since all you guys had done it before, no one was, you know, clamoring as much as me to pilot the Millennium <laughs> Falcon. So I got to, uh, you know, sit in one of the pilot seats. Uh, and, and, you we, guys, and we put you in the good pilot seat, too. You did. You did put me in the good pilot seat because the, the, the pilot seat on the right side gets to do something very, very cool, which I wouldn't have even uh, <laughs> thought of uh, if, if you guys wouldn't have known ahead of time. Uh, and that that particular moment, I won't say what it is, and I'm sure if you are already thinking about it, you know what it is. But it feels awesome, <laughs> um, and like, the ride's really fun. It's it's definitely a glorified video game, but the the way the uh, the ride moves and shakes, and the the screen since it completely engulfs the cockpit, uh, you get you get the same uh, you know motion feelings that you do if you were on you know a, a, one of those normal digital kind of roller coaster rides or um like the kinds that you often see at universal studios um there's there's one part of the ride where the ship like dips completely down like dropping and i like i felt it in my stomach and during the ride i and i was holding on to you know the pilot controls and i, I just I, I gripped them because i was like oh shit because like you really feel like you're falling in you know in the falcon um but it <laughs> It was such a fun, uh, fun experience. I would, I would love to, uh, to do it again and go through the other uh, positions. It's, it was, uh, it was fantastic. Well, very cool. Um, did you only get to ride it once, or did you ride it twice? Yeah, I did because, it was, and it was just, it was one of those things where, like, because of the way the reservations work, you know, once it gets to the last hour, that's when they start letting the next group in, at least in the evening. Yeah. And yeah. so it started getting really crowded again, and we just didn't have time to go hop back on it. I I almost went back on as a single rider, um, but then we we decided to get some pictures in front of the Falcon instead. Um, I guess talk about the food because you you were often talking about food on the water cooler. What did you think of the food in a galaxy far far away? Yeah, I did. I didn't get to try a ton of stuff, but I but I did I did um, still hop around and and check out some of the things that I was most excited to try. Uh, we got into August Cantina, which was great, and I tried the Blue Bantha, which is a a blue milk drink. This is the one that's different from the the milk that you get at the milk stand outside of the cantina, though, because it's not frozen. It's just it's much you're much more uh, standard liquidy kind of milk, and that's the one that comes with a special uh, cookie that's on top of it. It's like a it's like a sugar cookie stacked with a one of those Girl Scout coconut cookies, the S- Samoa cookies, um, and the cookies are really good. I I really like the blue milk. Some people have said that uh, they didn't really enjoy it very much. I it's not what I expected. But I still very much enjoyed it because it has. I was expecting something akin to like uh, a milkshake flavor, maybe like some uh, a vanilla style milkshake flavor, something like that. But it has uh, some fruity flavor to it, and it's it's pretty enjoyable. And then I also had. Uh, yeah, why, why called- didn't they make the blue and green milk milkshakes? Like that sounds like. I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna. I feel I feel like maybe it would have been too familiar because maybe it is the they probably thought oh, a lot of people are gonna expect that. So let's when they try it, let's make it seem like oh wait, this is something different, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I so I had the bluebantha. I also had uh, this um, little snack thing that's called Oga's Obsession, uh, which is ba- basically uh, a Jello thing that's in like a, a larger petri dish, and they sprinkle these. Uh, pop rocks on one side of it and then inside the jello itself are these little um like bulbs basically or like little like balls that are filled with fruity liquid they're kind of like the same uh things you would find in boba tea uh but these have a a really sweet fruit flavor in them and that was uh that was delicious that was a really good like sweet snack to have at the at the cantina yeah, I love that. That's one of my favorite things there, and if because it feels so alien, even though it's like stuff that we have here. Obviously, everybody's had 
uh, Boba. Everybody's had Jello. Everybody's had Pop Rocks. But like the combination of it looks so alien and tastes so interesting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then I, I I went to the milk stand and I since I already had the blue bantha, I I got the green frozen milk. And I actually like the green milk better than the flavor of the blue blue bantha. Uh, it's also fruity, but it also has this kind of uh, flowery taste to it, which which made it interesting. Um, so that was that was very good. It's also very refreshing because it's like a creamy, slushy kind of texture. Uh, and then I went to Ronto's Roasters, which is the the restaurant where they have a huge pod racer engine cooking meats. And I got the Ronto wrap, which is like this pepperoni sausage uh, wrapped in a, in a pita with slaw on it. And then there, there's some kind of other kind of meat in it. I forget what it was, but uh, that tasted really good. And then I also had uh, this um, a Tatooine Sunset with it, which was like this uh, tea that had uh, melon flavors and berry uh, in it. And that that was also very good. And yeah, we we tried some of the uh, the popcorn that's available at the, at the kettle, which is a mix of sweet and somewhat spicy. And I think I think that was about it on the food front. Did, what what else did you buy other than the lightsaber? Honestly, this time I didn't really buy anything because before I knew I was going, I had you pick up some things yeah. because you were going several times, and so. The stuff that I had you buy me was like I got the, I got chance cubes I got this magnet that looks like a, a restrainer bolt uh, I got the, uh, the much cooler version of Sabak which is be- way better than the one that Hasbro released when Solo came out um, and that but because because I wasn't expecting it I wouldn't wasn't really budgeted to buy a ton of stuff uh, at Galaxy's Edge so I I really just made um, made sure that I spent my money on the lightsaber because that's that's what I wanted the most. Yeah, by the way, I have a video that should be going up next week about the most ridiculous things that are on sale at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So if you're interested in that, subscribe to the YouTube channel that I will link in the show notes. There um, is one other thing that I do want I want oh. to buy. I'll probably have you buy when you go back again. Is um, So they, they sell the, uh, that ring that Rose has in The Last Jedi, the Resistance ring that where you uh, spin like the, the lever on the side of it and it reveals the, the Rebel Alliance logo. They they sell that actual ring as a replica for hundred fifty dollars, and I kind of want that. But if you want to spend less money but have the same kind of cool thing, they have a keychain that looks like a larger version of the ring. It's just flat, and you can hook it up, hook it onto your keys. That it does has the exact same mechanism that reveals the Rebel Alliance logo in that cool secretive way. Yeah, it's a, much more affordable too. Significantly more affordable, and you and you also got some photos of you and the lightsaber at night in front of the Falcon, which I think is like the biggest tip. If anybody's going to Galaxy's Edge, try to plan your time so it's like within like you know the the five to eight, nine or whatever, so you can be there during the day and see it at night because it looks totally different at night, and you get to get photos if you have a if you get a lightsaber. If you're lucky to get a lightsaber, you get, you can get your photos in front of the Falcon with that. What, what did you think of the place at night? Uh, yeah, it it looks even better at night than it does during the day. Um, you get to see a lot more of the details during the day, just how much effort they put it put into it. But at night, they they bring out these different colored lights that um, uh, they they at first it kind of simulates it getting darker. Uh, the lights get a little bit warmer um, at first, and then they start turning to like this blue light, almost as if there's you know a moonlight shining over everything. But you you start to see the lights of the ship on it too. There's like there's a ship that's above Docking Bay Seven that uh, is just sitting up on the roof. And then at night, you see the lights on the back of it that make it look like the engines are on. And there's there's a lot of cool details like that that come out at night. And uh, like Peter said, the photos that you can take in front of the Millennium Falcon look a lot cooler at night because of the lighting, especially if you if you have a lightsaber. Jacob, we need to get you out here to go to Galaxy's Edge. Working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, I, I will say too. I'm. Uh, I. I want. We talked about this, and I don't know if you talked about this on the podcast or you talked just talked about it behind the scenes. But I am very concerned for people who are, will be going to Galaxy's Edge after June 24th and can't take advantage of the reservation system because I have no idea how easy it's going to be to get a lightsaber. When you can just go to the park first thing in the morning and there's no limit to how long you can stay in there. Because with the reservation system, it makes it so that if you're there right away, you can be first in line and you can get your lightsaber done out of the way. And if you're late, they're late, then you likely won't get in the line at all because they can only do like 
I, th- I think it's something like 100 or 125 people within the four-hour window yeah. can build a lightsaber because that's how much time it takes for each group to do it. And so I feel like unless you're at Galaxy's Edge first thing in the morning at Disneyland, all of the reservation slots for the entire day are probably going to fill up right away, and you just won't be able to do it at all unless you're there first thing. Whereas with the reservation system, if you're there at the very beginning of your own reservation window, you have a much greater chance of doing it. Yeah, I, I really I, I know Jacob was trying to grill me on how this park is gonna work when it when it's open to the public and I I mean, you know, without reservations and I really don't know how it's gonna handle that stress. Like I I know that they're still having a fast pass system to get into that land, but like I don't think that has, you know, an exit time. I think that's just to get in and I feel like people aren't gonna leave. So it's 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 gonna be crazy. It'll be interesting to see come june 24th uh what it's like um but we've gone uh nearly an hour here so i think uh that brings us to the end of today's slash film daily you can find more of all of our work at slash film.com if you are interested in theme parks check out my video uh, my my video channel on youtube called ordinary adventures we're doing a bunch of trips to galaxy's edge and uh losing world of harry potter and a bunch of stuff from universal orlando is going to be hitting this and next week so check out that uh slash film daily is published every weekday on itunes google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slash film.com And please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.